Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. In uh, 2011, I, I had this new experience. Well, actually, it was, uh, it, was, it was 2010 that kind of started, but... Uh, over the past few weeks, uh, I've spoken about how I became personally um, convicted that, that women could be in church leadership. But all of my thoughts were academic. Um, but in 2010, I moved to Seattle and I began seminary. And, and while I was there, I met many women that were obviously very gifted. Um, and it was also uh, the time I started attending um, uh, Quest Church, where there was a, a woman pastor. It was my first time going to a church where there was a woman pastor, uh, Gail Song Bantam. And, but she was the worship pastor. So, you know, not a real pastor. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they are a real pastor. Um, so, but, you know, since she wasn't the lead pastor, um, you know, I, I, I didn't really feel anything about it. And, and as I said before, I, I, I had already kind of intellectually became okay with the idea of women leadership. Um, but I still had some kind of intellectual questions, like, because I believe that the Bible taught that men should be the head of the household. And so how could a woman be the head of a church and still be subject to her husband? Um, and I don't really buy that anymore either. But um, the head of the church, because Christ is the head of the church. Um, so I, I was at this church with a woman pastor, and then I had a class with her husband. Her husband was one of the professors in the seminary, um, and he quickly became my favorite professor. Um, he was my, uh, Brian Bantam, he was my academic advisor. Um, he was a theology professor, but he specialized in the intersection between the body and theology, particularly race um, and mixed race individuals, which, you know, speaking my language, um, his first book was based on a dissertation. It was called Redeeming Mulatto, um, right? Because he was the child of an interracial romance and he was married to a Korean American woman. So it's like his class in theology was made for me. Like I really dug it. But... I was kind of able to intellectually maintain this fiction that he was the head of his household because he was a theology professor, even though he wasn't a pastor. But then as part of my studies, uh, I had to intern at a church. And so I interned at Quest. Um, and at the same time I began my internship, Gail uh, transitioned from the worship pastor uh, to the executive pastor. Um, so she didn't preach every Sunday, but she ran the church. She organized, she did everything. and. Um, and I, I didn't know, I didn't have any weird conflict with her. I didn't have any secret resentment for her for being a woman and being in charge of me. There was nothing like that. But what happened was, is I saw how tremendously gifted she was. Like, she was so gifted. She is so gifted. And I saw how strong of a marriage um, Brian and her had. Without either being the head, but leading together. And, and seeing their marriage challenged my assumptions about how a marriage should, could operate. And, and how a, a church functions. And, and since then, I've had to look at my biblical assumptions and ask, does scripture really say that? Or am I reading my own assumptions into it? Um, oh, and this is just a aside. Uh, Gail and Brian have a, a book on marriage called Choosing Us, which might be the best practical egalitarian marriage book I've ever read. It's really good. Called Choosing Us. Write it down if you're doing a marriage book um, with you and your spouse. Um, this is the last in our series on church leadership, and it's a really brief study. Part one, I looked at the creation story and how women were created to exercise gifts. Um, 
or created to exercise God's dominion throughout creation along with men. And then we looked on how all that actually functioned in Israel. And then last week was part two, where we looked at what Jesus said about the eschatology of our identity. And eschatology is one of those fancy words that means like the ultimate end or final purpose. And how women are full recipients of the indwelling gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we very briefly went over uh, women that were credited and named as leaders, disciples, apostles, and deacons. And in this final week, we're going to be going through the uh, whatabouts. Um, because there's a lot of whatabouts. Uh, what about household codes? What about Paul's refusal to be led by women? What about the early church? And uh, full title, I got this, the whatabouts um, title from uh, one of my former professors, uh, Nijay Gupta, whose uh, book, Tell Her Story, which is about women in leadership, just won some book of the year award. And full disclosure, I have not finished reading it yet. It's one of those, it's really good, but it's one of those books you're like, I, uh, I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. Why am I reading this? You know, like, because I agree with it so much. Um, but... But it's but it's good, and I really like Nije. Um, so uh, so there are three things I want to address: household codes, problematic Paul, and church history. Um, and and like other messages, like the other messages, this is not necessarily a sermon like I like to give sermons. Um, th this one, especially since I'm going to be bouncing around so much, is more of like a hey, I'm teaching a class. Um, so um, it's a little bit more like school. And I'm going to be covering a lot in a short period of time. And uh, so, hold on to your hats. Um, and first, uh, I'd, like to, I'd like you to remember um, a few things in regard to Scripture. First, number one, one thing about Scripture. Yes, Scripture is for us, but not to us. All right? These are ancient documents that were written to specific people by specific people for specific purposes. Okay, when you're reading Paul's letter, we need to remember that Paul was a first century Jew. Um, more so than that, he was a Pharisee by training. And when we're reading things by Peter, we remember, remember that he's a fisherman, right? He was not educated like Paul. Um, his theology was shaped more by lived experience with Jesus. Similarly with John. Um, also, most of the New Testament is letters, which were written to certain people or churches in response to certain issues, Okay. They're not written as a systematic theology, okay, um, on how a church should behave or how people should behave or think. Um, the writers are often hearing about dysfunctions, things that are going wrong within the church, and writing to help them sort out to the problems. Now, this does not mean that Scripture is not inspired by God. Um, the reason why we still have these, right, is because that that the early church like saw that there was so much wisdom and so much transformational power within these texts that God had to be using earthly writers for his divine self-revelation. But they're not written directly to us. It's more like we're overhearing. It's like hearing your parents talk and learning how a marriage should work, hopefully. And hopefully that's a positive thing, right? But you're, you're, you're kind of like listening in. You're, you're getting things. All right. Two, we need to learn how to identify and differentiate the main idea of the text from the supporting details. Okay, now, this is huge for me probably because I used to be an English teacher. Um, so, um, and as an English teacher, this is something we worked on a lot. Wait, what's the main idea of this? What's the supporting detail? Uh, because sometimes we focus on analyzing every verse so much that we miss the point of the passage, um, or even the book. I, I remember one of my seminary professors uh, he, he once said the, the biggest trick the devil has played on the church was having them 
number Bible chapters and verses. <laughs> um, and he was being hyperbolic. But, uh, but chapter and verses are not part of the scripture. Okay, that's not there. We add them to help us organize things. Um, and they're useful. It's a very useful tool for purposes of location, but they tend to flatten scriptural interpretation uh, because we don't see how the sentences and phrases then work together to make a point. Too often we look at each, as each verse as its own point of equal value to every other verse, missing how that sentence might function as part of a larger argument. Uh, and, so we, and because of that, we don't know how to art, interpret verses that seem to be in tension with other verses. And so sometimes when we're looking at these problematic texts, we should ask, is this a main idea or supporting detail? Is this a main idea or a supporting detail? Um, or is this a counterpoint, which goes to demonstrate a larger purpose? And I know, as I say this, this sounds, makes it sound really technical and nerdy and very, very hard, but this is something we naturally do all the time, right? We don't interpret things all the time as everything being of the same importance. We can't function that way, okay? Um, and our high esteem of scripture sometimes gets in the way of us being able to actually read it um, because we don't want to accidentally ignore something important. And that's a good thing, but we need to recognize that could be a blind or two that we use. Um, not all information is equal. It's just not. And I fully believe that every jot and tittle in scripture is important, right? Divinely inspired. But only with all the other jots and tittles, not in and of itself. All right, and three, third thing to say. Being able to understand genre and figures of speech is really important when you're reading scripture. Remember, the Bible is not a book, it's a library. And there are lots of different kinds of writings in that library. And we should not read Proverbs like we read Chronicles. We should not read Revelation the same way we read the Gospels. Paul's epistles, they're very different than John's epistles, okay? I mean, Paul's, he usually wrote to certain churches specifically for certain problems. John's epistles were meant to be more circulated. And he even says like, oh yeah, this is so you can pass it around, okay? So Paul, he's direct because he's addressing certain specific things. And John's writing, yeah, he's kind of less direct. And sometimes, because Paul is writing to specific churches and peoples, sometimes he can use more exaggerated phrasings, um, like you do when you're talking with friends or people who can tell when you're being literal or hyperbolic. Okay, there's a relationship with Paul's writing. And you can read that by reading the whole thing. You, you, you learn that context by reading the whole thing, not just the important parts that, that you, you or maybe somebody else has said, this is the important part, and you skip over all the rest. Okay, sorry, that's just like a brief class in how to read the Bible. Um, we're going to start using some of these tools. Um, so with, with all this, um, I want to just identify three difficulties, three whatabouts that I had in understanding women about ministry. First, household codes. Okay, household codes are, are instructions on how a family's house should be organized. Um, and it's very common. It's a very common literary genre in Greco-Roman writings. Okay, if you were giving instructions, household codes were kind of expected to be part of the deal. Okay, and in, in scripture, some of the most common ones are Ephesians 5, 21, um, 6 through 9, and 
or Colossians uh, 318 through 41, First Peter 218 through 317. And some would lump in like Titus 2 in there or or Timothy 2, 3. Um, and I can't go through all of these, but I do want to point out, like if you really want to hear me break down one, um, last year on April 10th, uh, we went when we were going through Colossians, um, I went through the Colossians household codes. And I think the title of the sermon is called uh, For the Lord. Um, and that was on April 10th, uh, 2002. So, but really quick to demonstrate some of these practices, uh, I want to go over Ephesians, um, the household codes in Ephesians. And I want to start with uh, chapter 5, verse 21. So let's go. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, I'm going to keep stop there, but the codes actually keep on going with the you know, masters and servants and children and stuff. Um, okay, right off the bat, there's some things to notice. One, Paul addresses women. Hey, women, you should do this. And that is totally revolutionary. Okay, most household codes instructions were only given to the men, right? Because, right, they were the paterfamilias. They were they were the, they were the father. Um, women were not directly addressed. Um, so Paul actually like, hey, women, you have instructions too. You have a role. You participate in this. Um, and they are considered active participants in the household, and that is revolutionary stuff. Okay, and and this section. Also, it starts off with telling everyone to mutually submit because of their identity in Christ. The language of men and women and the roles are instructions on how to be mutually submissive. Right? Remember the main idea, supporting details? Okay. The main idea is not the independence of men and the submissive nature of women. All right? That is not the main idea. Um, also, there's this weird thing, um, verses 29 through 31. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for the body, just as Christ does for the church, for members of his body. Uh, for this reason, the man will leave his mother and father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. Now, that's a big clue. The main reason Paul is including these codes in this passage is to give a living example of the way Christ loves and cares for his people. And that makes sense because reading in context, we find out these codes are included because of verse 5-2. So that we can walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The whole section is about purposefully denying 
everything in our lives that keep us living fully in our identity of Christ. Okay? Paul isn't using Jesus to make a statement about how marital relationships should be. He's using marital relationships to make a statement about who Jesus is and how we should be because of who he is. Okay? We, often we flip that around. And we're saying, oh, Jesus is teaching us about marriage. No. It's teaching us about Jesus. Okay. Because in our marriages, we should be striving to be more like Jesus, who submits himself to every authority, right? Humbling himself to the point of death on the cross out of his self-sacrificial love. If we read this passage and our main takeaway is that men are in charge of the house, we miss the entire point of what's actually being said. All right. I'm going to run out of time because this is only part one. Um, okay, part two. All right. Outside of the Gospels, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote a lot. So it makes sense that like, when people have a problem, it's usually with Paul because he just wrote most of it. Um, so I'm calling this section Problematic Paul um, because it seems like, like everything that somebody has a problem with is because Paul wrote it. Um, and he has a, you know, statement, strong statements about women in ministry and you know, he has strong statements about sexuality and all sorts of things. But um, I want to talk... Um, well, he goes, and he has also has most of the household codes. Now, out of the interest of time, I'm only going to go over one of these problematic passages because there are several. Um, because, like I said, I just entitled it Problematic Paul. Um, and I honestly, I love Paul. Um, I didn't at first because I don't think I knew how to read him. But I feel, I feel like I'm learning how to read him. And I, I feel like I like him a lot more. Um, it's just, yeah. Okay. This is 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. Okay, and this is like, I remember reading this in high school, and I remember like telling my youth pastor, I was like, what does this mean? But, and he said, I don't know. Let's ask the worship pastor, which is, he did. He did say that, and the worship pastor was like, I, um, I don't know. <laughs> um, so that, did, that, that really happened. Um, okay, 1 Timothy 2, chapter 11, or verse 11, starting at verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived that became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Okay. Really quickly. This is very different from the epistles like Ephesians and Philippians and Corinthians and the like, because this is a letter to a specific person. Specifically, words from an older mentor to a younger pastor. And so immediately, because of how it's being written and who it's being written to, we know it's not going to be as formal, okay? Because it's not written for all of the church, but for someone that Paul knows a long time and has a long-standing relationship with. It's going to be a little bit looser, because when you're talking with people you have a relationship that's the way you speak. We also know that Paul knows Timothy's family. From 2 Timothy, Paul commends Timothy's mom and his grandmother for passing along their faith to Timothy. There's no mention of any men in Timothy's life. Um, actually, the only thing that we know about Timothy's father is that he was Greek and that his mother was Jewish, so he comes from a mixed cultural background and was not circumcised. Um, and we find that out in Acts 16. So that's just some context. Okay, this is who Timothy is. Oh, 
just so you know, you know, I'm jumping back and forth and giving you all these details. Back before, you know, we had written books, you memorized it. People memorized it. And so pe even though that seems like a lot of work going back and forth, this is the way people expected you to learn by having it all memorized in your head. That's kind of crazy. Totally different way of thinking. Um, all right, context. Um, Paul knows when he's writing to Timothy, he's writing to someone who is discipled and taught to love Jesus through the women in his life. He knows that. Okay, and last week, last week I gave a short list of women that Paul credited as leaders of churches, as deacons, as apostles. And so there's already a tension if you kind of keep in mind all of the other things that Paul wrote and other things about Timothy. There's already a tension within the passage in regard to what Paul teaches and confesses in other parts of Scripture. So those might be clues already that there's something more going on here than what it appears at first glance. Now, in the first chapter of Timothy, we learned that Timothy was sent to pastor the church in Ephesus, right? Ephesians was written there. Um, and he was sent there because there's so much false teaching in the church. And Paul, Timothy was sent to silence the false teachers so he could provide true teaching. And so when we, um, as we go through this uh, text, let's go to verse 11, please. There you go. Um, so we're going to kind of walk through this. The, this line here, women should learn in quietness and in full submission. That actually echoes um, 1 Timothy 2.2, where we're called to pray for our leaders so that we can all lead quiet lives. Okay? So already there's already callbacks. Knowing that quietness is something that all people should strive for. There's a reason. Is there a reason why Paul is highlighting a uh, woman in uh, verse 11, especially since his job is to stop, stop false teaching. It seems like it might be related. And it's kind of weird here. It shifts from plural to first person or to singular. Don't know why. Nobody knows why. So people that say this is the reason why they're lying. Nobody knows why. But he does. He switches. from, And that's really weird. You don't normally just stop when you're talking, switch from plural to singular. But... Um, Okay, verse 12. Okay, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Once again, quiet. And also, we, here we have a translation issue. Um, the word that Paul uses for authority, it's a really weird word. It's not found often in Scripture. It's just not. And, and, and so, um, actually, other translations, earlier translations, um, often would translate it as usurp authority. Uh, which is totally different than have authority. Okay, so we're not exactly sure what that means. But, um, so if it's usurp authority, it means take over authority from a man. So, um, and another thing is, Paul does not couple this with anything else. He does not say, therefore man's and man is the authority, therefore men should be teaching. Um, he doesn't give any authority in, over women. He just says that, that women should not assume authority, okay? Assume as in take over. Okay, and once again, weird shift to, to singular from plural. All right, verses 13 through 14. For Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not from the deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Okay, now, inflammatory. Remember, supporting details, main idea. 
Okay, the main idea is to silence false teachers. And Paul uses the creation narrative to point out false teachers. Okay, this is something he's actually done one other time in scripture before in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 11, 3. Okay, and there he says, But I'm afraid just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion in Christ. Okay, he, calls, he uses the creation narrative to show how people are deceived by false teaching, right? Being called to believe something different. Okay, last, verse 15. Uh, women being... Oh, yeah. Uh, next verse. Okay. Well, the last verse is uh, the woman being saved by childbearing. That is the weird verse I, that I asked my youth pastor about. And he's like, I, I don't know. Um, and it is weird. I, I, I looked at it. I studied it. Um, some people are like, yeah, I don't know. It seems to be maybe a reference to, to Jesus because women are saved through childbearing because Jesus was born. But um, it's... One of the reasons why it seems like it's there too, because it seems to put a positive spin after all the negative things he just said in verses 13 and 14. They're like, oh, no, no, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus. There is salvation. Um, now, does that seem hard? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but there's a reason why we're called to study and to meditate on Scripture. Okay? We're not just told, like, Hey, don't think about it. There it is. Okay? And there's, there's a reason why scripture is given to a community. And not just to one person. Okay? I couldn't hold all of that. There's bits of knowledge in my head by myself. I had to study. I had to hear what other people had to say. I had to be encouraged. Scripture is given to the church. The community. And so we read it together. And we interpret it together. We encourage one another. All right. I know I'm going late, but I, I want us to talk um, a little bit about church history. Um, because the church has always assumed um, male leadership in the church. And that's one of the arguments anyways. But that's not true. Um, if you look back at the early church writings, and not, I'm not talking about the Bible, like early church, though you can lump the Bible in there, um, we see women given all sorts of roles within the church. However, we can also see women gradually being phased out of leadership. Now, we don't know why, but it happened. Um, honestly, I think part of the reason might just be because society was patriarchal, and it's really hard to maintain a countercultural position, especially as you rise in power and influence, which is what's happening to the church. Uh, some theories about the rise of male leadership seem to have to do with Constantine, and, you know, so therefore, you know, kind of modifying Christianity a little bit to seem more legitimate to the authorities, but everybody blames everything on Constantine. Um, but Constantine was like a follower of Mithras, and Mithras, like, had an all-male priesthood. Like, that was one of their big things. Um, and actually, one of the first mentions we had negatively about women in leadership um, was by Pope Gelasius. And he was the head of the, um, you know, the Roman Catholic Church in uh, 492, um, only uh, 496. He only pope for four years. But he was concerned that women are encouraged to serve at sacred altars to perform all the other tasks that are assigned to the service of men. Okay? His complaint back then was that women were serving too much in ministry to the detriment of men. Which the counter assumption would be that means women were serving. <laughs> okay? Women led in the other church. 
Okay. Oh, this is something I just feel like I need to mention. Um, in Catholic Orthodox churches, uh, priests kind of serve a different function um, theologically than in Protestant churches. Um, in those churches, priests is kind of like a physical representation of Jesus, and therefore they should be male because, you know, Jesus is male. Um, and the church might actually have leadership roles for women, but the specific role of priest is since it's a specific theological role. Um, yeah, that, that was reserved for males. Okay, Protestants. We kept the rule, we threw out the theology, and we've been making it up as we've gone. That's, that's my opinion, interpretation. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, but that's, that's kind of what the church did. We kind of threw out a lot of the church structures, but then we had to figure out like, okay, but we still do it this way. Why are we doing it that way? Um, okay, I know that was a lot and that was fast. And I know I talked fast um, because my word count on the sermon is twice as long as my regular sermons. Um, and there's a lot more written on both sides of this issue. A lot more good arguments, good arguments um, against women leadership. And I, in my opinion, better arguments for women in leadership. <laughs> um, and that, but I hope that this might help some of you um, with difficulty on this topic. Like, ah, oh, why does the Bible say that? Why do we live like that? Or at least I can show you that scripture is rich and it's complicated. All right, we can spend, and hopefully you will spend all of your life studying it and never exhaust its riches, okay? When we encounter problems with scripture, tensions, difficulties, I pray that the, the end result is not us throwing it out, but let's digging in deeper. Let's, let's really learn and wrestle with what this is saying. And once again, I really hope this is an encouragement to women in our church, okay? I, I want to make sure that women know that they are not second-class members of our fellowship. They have been given spiritual gifts for the development of the whole body, and we need those gifts desperately. And men, I hope you, um, this encourages you to think about this issue and how to learn and be led by women, okay? Because it's easy to have an intellectual belief in the equality of women. It's easy to have that, especially if you're never led by a woman, okay? Um, so it's easy to have all sorts of beliefs. And honestly, I think, a lot of the church can kind of do that too. Have all the right beliefs, but never actually have to be challenged by them. Um, so uh, fortunately, we do have Pastor Christy, who is a wonderful um, and gifted uh, leader and teacher as well. But let's pray before we move on to the next part of our service. And like I said, this is a different type of sermon. Thank you for hanging in there. <sighs> Holy Father, you are good. And we know that you offer us so much more, so much more than we could ever grasp, Lord. That every time we encounter you, every time we think that we've, we've outgrown Jesus, Lord, you show yourself to be bigger and to be richer and to be stronger and to be wilder than we could ever imagine, Lord. Teach us to embrace that. Teach us to fall in love with you and to submit ourselves to your, to your authority. Teach us to be more like you, men and women. In Christ's name, amen.